Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with the co-founder of Ciceron, Andrew Eklund. I've got to start on this line that I found on a description from Andrew himself. Those who are nimble, open, and adaptive win. I think there's no better way to look at Andrew's history and vision as an entrepreneur. About 26 years ago, the internet was at its infancy. Nobody would ever have guessed even a fraction of what it could become. And Andrew, after 26 years of building his company, Ciceron, in the, up as a leader in the digital space, will tell you that himself... Ciceron offers services that aim to mesh creative work, media, and data into an interdisciplinary powerhouse. Andrew has seen Ciceron through every major shift in the online space, recently included on the Inc. 5000, and with a horizon of promise ahead. Ciceron, my friends, is growing like crazy. So Andrew, let's get into it. Thank you for being here today, buddy. Thank you, Drew. I appreciate it. Yes. So we touched just briefly on... um, on, on the, the, where the company started, but I'd love to hear just from you. Where'd the idea come from? Where did this thing all start? Yeah, well, you know, I was 26 years old. I mean, you can do the math on that if you want to. Uh, so half and half right there, half my life, I guess, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was spending a lot of time in the early 90s um, out in San Francisco, out in the Bay Area. And uh, for my previous and really only almost only job I ever had before I did this. And my work just took me out to the Bay Area a lot. And uh, of course, the Internet was, you know, in its infancy. And I just caught the bug. And I just um, just realized that it was uh, there was this great sort of efficiency to it. There was this great leveling of the playing field, which I know is sort of a 10 cent phrase. But I mean, it was really like you could see what what it was going to possibly do for brands um, of all types, from nonprofits to Fortune 500s. And, you know, at that time, um, I didn't really want to start an agency in San Francisco because I would be one of many. And uh, Minneapolis, uh, I hope most of you know, is a great advertising city, um, Minneapolis, St. Paul. And it's, you know, it was the sixth largest ad market in the country at the time. I think it still holds a top spot like that. And I realized that here in in Minneapolis, with its great advertising community and lots of Fortune 500 companies right here, that it was just, this was a great place to to start it. And so, yeah, we've been here ever since. And um, yeah, you're right. I mean, we've seen everything from the very early 1.0 of people um, having their first generation websites to now where it's, you know, obviously, you know, the it's where they're doing the majority of their commerce. So it's been an amazing journey. Yeah. So where did it start? What was the first iteration of your company? Well, I mean, it was first gen everything. You know what I mean? It was getting people's sites up for the first time. It was starting to build out email lists. It was, I mean, Google didn't exist yet. You know, I always have to remind (laughs) people things like Google wasn't even a thing when we started. And, uh, you know, you had search engines, which was Yahoo and Alta Vista and Lycos and all these things that don't really exist anymore. Even even Yahoo and AOL were sold off last the last week. So or earlier this week, um, 
So, you know, it was just a lot of the sort of first generation getting people to understand what this could be. Um, and we've gone through so many iterations. We're, we're sort of calling what we're doing right now Cicerone 4.0. You know, I mean, first gen was first gen. Second gen was, you know, really digital marketing sort of in the early 2000s. The last 10 years for us has been really the, the growth of digital media and the programmatic space. And now sort of moving forward is just the maturity phase where, you know, for the vast majority of our clients, you know, this is their primary space where they're doing uh, their business, um, whether that is consumer interaction or, um, you know, e-commerce uh, and all the above. So it's taken a really long time to get to where we are now. Like when I say we, I mean like the marketplace. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll, I'll be really honest with you guys and, 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 and uh, just transparent. Uh, you know, we were never in pole position. You know, there was always an agency of record someplace else. There was a creative agency. There was, a, you know, an agency of record. And we were the digital guys mm. sort of off to the side. Well, that's, that's really flipped over the past five years in particular. Uh, you know, we're more oftentimes, you know, the agency of record. Uh, overseeing everything from creative all the way through to, um, you know, all the way through to the transaction, right? Because we can connect all of it yep. and, uh, and bring that level of performance and, and, and again, transparency to the whole process for our clients. Yeah, that, that, that makes me think of the question I was going to ask. When we were first starting, the space is so new. Yeah. Was it difficult to convince anyone to spend money on something like a website or having an online presence? You know, I, I joke about it. Uh, the reason it took me like 25 years to get onto the Inc. 5000 is that we've never had money. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, yeah. you know, we never really had the budgets that I think was necessary to do what was possible. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was almost like every budget for many, many years was a, uh, you know, came out of some sort of internal skunk works project. And, right. uh, you know, you had to prove it, which is always sort of ironic to me. I mean, it's the most provable thing we have. Sure. You know, it's all data driven. It's all either people transact or they don't. And, you know, it's, a, it's sort of a one and a zero sort of a thing. Not that there's not nuance in all of that, but like, you know, generally speaking, compared to other marketing, traditional marketing channels, it's like the most provable thing ever. Yeah. And so, you know, it's taken a long time, but yeah, clearly, obviously, you know, this is not new anymore. This is, you know, to me, what's new is thinking, hey, you know, we should do a direct mail campaign, <laughs> right? <laughs> like that's super new now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's novel again. It's somehow it's all novel again. Came all yeah. the way back around. hundred uh, percent. We should do things in person. We should actually like send something in the mail. Oh man, I'm dying. I'm dying to do that. You know, we've got clients on, on all over the country. And I was just on a call with, you know, one of the record labels that we work with in LA. And, you know, I'm just like, when are you guys getting back into the office? Like, I just, I just need to, I need to go someplace, you know? Yes. Come on. Each other face to face. Yes. Yeah. We're just starting to have that happen. We're down in Atlanta and I did, I did a training yesterday and it was the first, first one I've done in person. It was so it's so strange being back in a room with people. I loved it. Oh, I bet it was great. Well, wow. congratulations. My uh, my Delta app told me that uh, the Atlanta airport is my number one airport. Yes. <laughs> a lot of people's number one airports. Yeah. Well, we're both Delta hubs, so. That's right. That's yeah. right. 
Well, I'm curious, man, how did you, one, how did you keep the company together and running? And then how did you, even yourself, keep betting on this horse when, like you said, there, there's, there was consistently not a budget for it. People weren't making a, a priority to spend money on online presence and advertising and that kind of thing. Like, how'd you, how'd you keep it afloat? How do you even just mentally keep, keep going? You know, I sort of have always known that this is what I love to do. I mean, I really love this business. I love running an agency. I love all the all the angles of, of running an agency. It's a creative place. It's uh, full of energy. The, the talent that I get to work with every day is just really spellbinding. And um, I, uh, that just keeps me just so energized, you know, um, and every day is new. Uh, that's what I love about it. I mean, there's just never a boring day, um, whether that's, you know, adding new channels or, uh, you know, there's new new things that we can add to our creative palette, you know, every day. And so, you know, I don't know if I've ever been like formally diagnosed with adult ADD, but like, this is like a perfect job for a guy like me, you know what I mean? Where everything is changing all the time. Our clients are, um, are, you know, asking us to, to do different things all the time. And uh, by the way, I think a tennis match started playing in the background. That's kind of cool. <laughs> I just stopped. I just stopped that. I was watching the Madrid Open earlier, and all of a sudden, randomly, it just started playing again. I thought I heard something. I wasn't sure what that was. Yeah, no, I was. I was like, I have tennis courts across the street. I was wondering if like they put big speakers out and started broadcasting it. <laughs> Anyways, um, so yeah, how do we keep going? I just keep going because it's always new. It's always fresh, and and yeah. I mean, not least of which is that our clients are super excited about what we're doing. Mm. And, and I don't want to say that that's a new thing. I mean, they've always been excited, but, you know, and as a business owner, frankly, that the budgets are growing and we get to do, frankly, what the potential of each and every client has is just so rewarding. Yeah. 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 So as the shift you're saying, has that been in the last five years? Is that about right? Uh, five I would say five years over the last five years is where we've seen our real exponential growth. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that has a lot to do with the media environment. Uh, our media group um, is, you know, we've been doing digital media since we were beta testers for Google search for Google AdWords. So, Whoa. I mean, we've been, we've been doing digital media for a, a long, long time, but you know, the full spectrum of that about five, about six years ago, we made a, a real commitment in that area when the programmatic space sort of like grew up out of its like remnant advertising grossness from like 2008, 2009, until it became where like really great advertising inventory was now available within these trading platforms. That was always really interesting to me because I was not interested in doing just like raw tonnage of banner ads all over the place. In fact, I resisted that for many, many years. Mm. Um, and then I, I finally sort of, uh, you know, frankly, pe people on my media team uh, were coming to me and saying, yeah, this is, it's really changing now. Like, it's really changing in the sense that a lot more really high quality advertising inventory was being put into these biddable spaces. And so we weren't having to do these big upfronts. We weren't having to, frankly, we weren't having to commit our clients' dollars for a specific period of time 
to buy media. We could buy it as we need it. We could use the data that we had available. We could we could match that, you know, my, my our clients first party data against these third party segments and it just was became very very succinct, very measurable and you could and, you, and it was no longer really about pure awareness, right? You know, if you think about awareness campaigns with broadcast television and so forth, right. you could play in those spaces, but still use them almost like prospecting. So um, that has been the fundamental change for us. And my media group is the largest group at Cicero. So it's, you know, we're, we're squarely in that space. The only reason we're calling it 4.0 right now is that I think really because of the pandemic, you know, the full operations, the full customer service, the whole experience of what it is to work with the brand is now under that, you know, that umbrella of digital. Gotcha. Take me into the, the creative process for a minute. What, what's that like for, for your team? Um, yeah, I'm just curious about the creative process. <laughs> well, yeah, first and foremost, it's about knowing your customers. Um, it's not about the thing. It's not about, hey, what should we do on TikTok? It's about, is, tech, is TikTok a thing for your customers? Yeah. And so, you know, that is where we always start is really having a very, very deep understanding of, of customer segments, of buying journeys, of media mix, of relevancy, what's relevant to them. And then more important is like, are the creative elements that are available within those channels truly compelling? Will they actually drive somebody and, and move somebody to take action, right? And the action, yeah. You, you mentioned something called buying journey. Yeah. What is, I mean, I have in my head what I think that means, but what, yeah. what, would you, what is the buying journey? Well, the buying journey really is, is all brand touch points. Right. And so that can include things like in-person retail. It can include side of the highway billboards, but it also includes, you know, Instagram feeds and TikTok and Snapchat and all, you know, all the different ways that a brand can intersect with the consumer in their lives. Gotcha. By the way, not least of which are good old fashioned email. Right. I mean, like we've been doing email since the beginning of email and it's still got the highest ROI of everything. And I would, I'll, I'll tell you right now, it doesn't always get the attention it should because it's just not sexy. Right. Unless right. you like like really complicated like marketing automation systems, which yeah. I have people on staff who dream and, you know, busy diagrams. Um, I don't know about you, but ROI is always super exciting. So oh, yeah, we, yeah we, we try and look at all these different ways that a, a brand might be experienced. And then as just sort of like a menu of items, and then you look and really truly understand how people live their lives. And then you align those channels to the campaign, you know, to, to whatever the outcome is that our, our client's looking for. And some aren't about transactions, right? They're just about engaging and telling a great story and uh, compelling them to take interest, you know? Um, Instagram's a really good example of that. I mean, they might know that I like shoes, right? But the shoe ads that I get are from brands I've never heard of before. Yeah. Right. And so it's not always that, you know, like I'm a Nike guy, right? I like Nike, but 
these other shoes would come up and it's about design and there's something about it that's very compelling and it's a uh, unique, you yeah. know what I mean? Yep. And so here I've gone from never even knowing what this brand was to literally swiping up and shopping now and a pair of shoes ends up, you know, a week later. Yep. Um, that's pretty amazing. You know, and that's, uh, that's really tight. That's a really tight journey between awareness and a transaction. True. Yeah. What I would love to double click that's in my mind, I go deeper. I'd love to go deeper on when, how you think about compelling a customer in terms of when they first see whatever it is, the Instagram ad or the email, like how do you guys craft, whether it's message or think about that part of the consumer journey, that this is where they're learning and being motivated to explore more. Um, it's something my business partner for years have been telling me to pay attention to. And I didn't care until we were trying to grow our business uh, right. that we needed to really think about copywriting and things like that, like the art and science of communicating a message and grabbing people's attention. So can you talk to me about that a little bit? Yeah. Well, it's really a blend of two sources. The first source, first and foremost, should be the data that brands already own on their customers, right? That's essentially called CRM. I mean, that's, it's, it's, it, you know, CRM is essentially a collection of data points about people who have already raised their hands and have expressed interest by opting in, by sharing information, transactional data, you know, website or app user behavior data, all that kind of stuff, the stuff that they own. Yep. Um, and by the way, that, that set of data is the most important set of data, but it's oftentimes the least looked at because mm -hmm. it's all over the place. And so we spend a lot of time at least getting that data in some sort of form so that we can access it and, and really get good business intelligence out of it. Interesting. When that isn't in place, Brands are, are oftentimes completely beholden to third-party data, research data, data you have to buy, right? Even though the data that they really want is sitting right underneath their nose, but it's too hard to get at or it's too hard, too hard to make sense of. So what I like to do is make sense of it, really get a good understanding of who is currently already a customer, okay. really understand, you know, what's motivated past purchases, what kind of, what kind of testing whether it's copywriting or creative or whatever has worked in the past. And then marrying that up against some of that third-party research or third-party data to see if there's any sort of nuance to grow from there. And then you're really letting sort of data inform that, that creative process. And I don't want that to sound boring because data is, is exciting because it's really about yeah. insights, not just data. It's like clues. It's it's, it's, it, and sometimes it's beyond clues and it's just absolute proof points. Uh right? So leverage it, right? So use it and then test it and test it in a live environment. It's okay. You know what I mean? Like a test can take like 12 hours. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. Like just run something for like 12 hours, you know, put some money against it, run it, see which, see which creative is working better and go with the winner. And of course there's great new automation platforms that can sort of automate that process and, and different things like that. So the other part of the creative process, obviously, is the right side of the brain, right? Because you can sort of just copycat everything that's worked in the past, but you're not really innovating at that point. Right, right. So innovation is around, hey, can we develop an experience that would enhance 
their their the customer's experience with this brand in a way that they didn't even think possible. You know, apps have been around a long time, but apps have become now for many brands the primary interface beyond say a website. Apps give you all sorts of ways to tie in different ways to experience, you know, experience brands. I mean, why does Nike have, you know, full on fitness apps and, and, and all of your health related apps? So why does it tie into all of that sort of, because they, you know, just do it means just do it. And we're going to surround you with all of the different things. I wish I could take credit for any of that. I can't, but, <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? Like that's, you know, it used to be like, well, why are they in the app space? Why are they in the, why are they in the health tech space and all this? Because that's, we have, we wear watches and we wear Fitbits and all these sorts of things that, you know, are telling us to just do it and then to just keep doing it because you can see progress. Oh, so cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So on the creative side, I always think about the show Mad Men and uh, I don't know, did you ever see Mad, Mad Men? Oh Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm like I'm like old enough that people think I should walk around the office with like snifters of brandy or something like that, and and uh, Lucky Strike cigarettes. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I always, I always think about um, there was one there's one episode where like new ownership came in, and and you know we're we're trying to optimize things, we're looking at the budget and all that kind of stuff, and they came to the main character, you know, and basically said we're cutting your budget in half and what in the world is this? So many of your people are taking these long lunch breaks and they're, they're going to the movies or whatever. And he basically said like, it's the creative process. He's like, if you want to stick them in the room and, and make them just stare at a computer all day, you're not going to get the, the results that you need. Now I know it's exaggerated and it doesn't really work that way, right. but there's an element to that right side of the brain kind of interaction, right? Yeah. Um, how does that fit in? It's such a data driven you know, almost calculated way. How do you guys still embrace some of that? Just thinking outside the box, taking a chance kind of thing. It's a great question. And I, you know what, let's be honest about something because I think it's something that we're all sort of have had to work through for many, many years. And that is that a lot of what's happening in marketing and advertising is on the surface not terribly interesting to creative minded people, yeah. which may and almost always includes CMOs, right? Yep. Um, you know, CMOs largely are, are my generation now, right? Like I'm a, I'm a Gen Xer, you know, yep. it's sort of, we have the next 10 or 15 years of reign sort of in that, in that space. And, uh, you know, like half of Gen X have sort of came up in the old school of advertising and the other half came up sort of through digital. And it's this interesting sort of, uh, of time frame, and all this talk about data and automation, all the stuff I've spent the last 20 minutes talking about, by the way, you know, it doesn't tickle the creative side of the brain all that much. It's sometimes hard to get people excited until you ta start talking about experience. Yes. Right. Yep. Because they're all, we're all users of the technology, <clears throat> excuse me, but really it's about how do we develop something that is really exciting? You know what I mean? And it may not be that spot. It might not be that 30-second spot. It might not be that 60-second spot. But guess what? It might be a whole video series, right? It might be episodic. It might be that we're shooting a, a semi-fictionalized story of a, a person interacting with this brand. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yep. That's super exciting. You're talking about directors and writers and, and videographers and editors and all of this kind of stuff. And I, and you know what, it would be super successful if it yeah. was well done. I mean, it could also completely and totally flop because you, you forget that you're, you, you think you're building advertising when you're really trying to entertain people. Mm. And so, you know, if, if it's all like, you know, Hey, brought to you by Zenny glasses, you know, it'd be like, you know, it would fall on its face. Right. Right. But, you know, it's that, right. It's also, again, how do we sort of like tighten up the, the, um, I, this, you know, this also gets obviously sea level people excited. It's just the idea that you really, I have reduced waste. And so when you go to your CFO to ask for your budget and you can come in armed with like, this is, all, this is working like working the way you, a finance person, think of working. Yeah, like yeah. we're finally on the same page. Yeah. You know, because finance people and marketing people have not been on the same page for generations. That's right. And now they are, right? Yeah. And so what it does for the CMO is it really takes a lot of risk out of the equation. So you can do more creative ideas. You can execute more creative things because you now have the trust of your other brethren within the, you know, the C-suite. Uh, and because not only are you coming in with big creative ideas, you're backing it up with the performance side of it. And that has been the missing piece up until I would say with, you know, over the past 10 years, it's only been getting better and better and better. Yep. Um, and now I think it's required. So love that. That's exactly the, yeah, that's the dynamic I was talking about is that tension that the numbers guy was feeling with the marketing agency inside the company. And now, like you said, now that we can actually show, hey, here's our customer, here's how much we spent on this, here's the, here's how much that you know traffic that drove and, and conversion, you can satisfy the numbers side while getting permission to go do the creative, the creative work, right? Yeah. Uh, super cool. I always think so, you know, Data and all of that is like the log in a fireplace, right? You can take a match to that log and it will never catch fire, right? You need kindling underneath there. You need some wrap, you know, some crunched up newspaper and some twigs yeah. and some smaller pieces and all of that to make the whole business catch fire. Creative and great ideas are all that kindling. That's the stuff that's required mm. because I'll be, you know, to be, you know, to be honest, We've run great media campaigns in the past that didn't have necessarily great creative. Of course, it wasn't our creative. It was somebody else's creative, right? But, you know, I can't make bad creative take off with great media. It just won't happen. Because yeah. at the end of the day, somebody is going to experience something. And if they're, if they're experiencing shit creative, you're going to have a shit outcome. So, yep. um, you know, it does all fit together. It has to all fit together. Let's talk about you in terms of running the actual business. So we just, we're talking about the business towards the customer. Let's talk about you and building the business. Mm -hmm. What's been the most challenging thing about just building the agency itself, the hiring or building a culture or what, it, what, what, what comes to mind first? Oh, what comes to mind first? I would say um, patience. Hmm. Uh, in my business, I've had to have an incredible amount of patience. Because it has taken a very long time for this industry to get where it is today. You have to understand the advertising industry, the, the economic engine 
of the advertising business for many, many decades was television. Okay. Right. I mean, it was just the economics was just, it was very expensive. It was, uh, the production costs were very high. The media costs were very high. It was a big commitment. And that was like, when you watch Mad Men, I mean, they're talking about television, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's taken many, many years to sort of unwind that. And frankly, for the, the agency world to understand the new economics of, of advertising. How do you, frankly, how do you make money building smaller stuff? You know? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of volume in our business. You know, there's, there's hundreds of iterations of creative. It's not like just shooting that one spot. You know, it's, it's, it has become very, very complicated. So I would say the hardest challenge for me has been to help our clients understand the new economics and to help them understand that it's, it is very complicated and that, you know, the classic, you know, 15% markup on media spend was a pretty great deal if you're a media buyer, media planner in the television days, because there was quite a bit of margin in that. Uh, now we're talking of hundreds of iterations across eight, 10, 12 channels running simultaneously mm. and having to manage all of that and manage all of that budget. It's not like one spot in like maybe, you know, a dozen or five broadcast buys. I mean, it's just, you know, we're still trying to all figure that out. So I would say running the economics of it is actually one of the bigger challenges. Running culture, I love agency culture. You know, it does skew younger. It's probably keeping me younger, maybe by a decade. I don't even know. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, creative people, super curious people. You know, we have a series of values at the agency. It's, it begins with empathy and ends with deliver excellence. You know, and that is, um, uh, you know, we really try and live those values. And, and sometimes it's hard, you know, last year was hard. You know, the economy was, was, was crazy bad. I mean, we had a good year only because we're digital and everything sort of went that way. But right. at the same time, you know, people are trying to live their lives and have kids at home and both spouses or partners working out of their homes together, like my wife and I can't work together. Right. So it's like, you know, you had to find different places in the house. It's just been, it's been just enormously um, exhausting. Yeah. You know, Yeah. but at the same time, I think we've really tried to invest in people. You know, we, we've just tried to keep things going and, and reinvent ourselves. And now we're building a new headquarters and right now it's under construction and about 10, 12 weeks, you know, it'll be done right about the time that everything's going to be opening up back again. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to a, a rebirth and a renewal. Yeah. Heck out of that. What's the, what's the size of the team right now at Ciceron? We're about yeah, 30-ish with a crew of a bunch of freelancers. And then yeah. um, we also belong to an agency network called TAN which is uh, an agency network of independent agencies. It's a global agency network. And uh, we're a very tight-knit group of people. So I, I get to have partners all over the world that we can collaborate with on projects. Wow. Uh, there's no equity exchange in all of it. It's just, uh, it's like a nice club of independent agency and agency yeah. owners. So yeah, I mean, it's been holding steady about that for the past year. It's not been one of those years where you're just growing like, 
like crazy, let's be honest. Um, so I'm really, this year's starting well. And, you know, we have some really ambitious plans for the next three to five years in particular. Yeah, heck yeah. Well, I want to go back to just the, the culture that you guys have built with the younger, you got a younger demographic, demographic, you know, creative. Um, what has been one of the keys to keeping that workforce for you engaged and motivated and kind of, you know, delivering the excellence that you uh, really desire for the, out of them for the customer? You know, I believe happy people do great work. And what I mean by happy is that they're respected as full human beings. They're not just workers. You know, they're not FTEs. There's no acronym. These are people. These are people who live beautiful and sometimes beautifully complicated lives. And you have to, you know, we have people who have amazing hobbies, you know, that might take them out of the office for a couple of weeks to go scratch that itch. You know, we have people with, um, you know, health issues or uh, family members who need their assistance. And, you know, so, you know, the advertising world is notorious for, you know, 80 hour work weeks and things like that. And we're just not, we're not, um, uh, you know, we have the longevity of a Cicerone employee is way above average. Mm. way above average. And I've had people who have worked for me for 17 years, but I think our average is, you know, I haven't done the numbers, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's seven, eight, nine years average. Wow. wow. So um, that's, uh, I think that's a testament to doing something right. Absolutely. You know? Man, that is so cool. Yeah. So was that an intentional decision? Hey, the industry typically does it this way, burns people out. It, you know, it treats them like a human doing, not a human being. We're going to do this differently. And then in that decision, did it feel risky? Did it feel risky doing it a different way? I don't think I could do it a different way. I mean, I'm a driven guy, but I, I try not to be an a-hole. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't. Good principle, like, right? <laughs> Just yeah, you know, I don't. I've heard too many war stories. Uh, I'm very fortunate that I always had pretty good bosses, you know, um, who inspired me. I didn't have many. I mean, I started the agency and I was pretty young, but, um, you know, I just heard too many war stories and people who have come to us, to us from other agencies, you know, whether it's big holding company agencies or others who have just said, you know, it's just a grind. And I personally don't believe that you do great work. You can't, you can't deliver greatness yeah. if you're just beaten down yeah um yeah now and then you got to put in big long hours but that's not the norm it just isn't and i just don't think it should be i mean life is life is short you know what i mean like i really embrace that idea that life is short and you got kind of one shot at it whatever you believe in the afterlife that's great but while we're here you know it's i'm i'm not old yet like i have a pretty young mind at least <laughs> um you know, I plan to go for another 40 years, you know, and, uh, um, but I can tell you the first half went pretty fast, wow. you know, and there's a lot of things to do in life and uh, work is just one of them. That's so good. What does a day, let's, let's kind of look at you now. What does a, what does a typical day look like for you right now? What are the things on your plate? How does, how does a day flow for you? Take us yeah. into that. Well, 
recently, I don't know what's happened to me. I don't know what's happened to me. Cause I, I go to bed like super early now, like nine 30. <laughs> I just, I can't do it anymore. And then I wake up at about five, five 30. Yeah. Um, first thing I do is I catch up on just some of the industry news, you know, business insider and, and, uh, some of the media, you know, media posts, things like that. Did you day? Um, I just try and grab the headlines, understand, you know, literally what happened, what was, ha- what happened when I was sleeping. Um, I'm, I'm sort of evaluating whether what I'm reading and what I'm seeing people do, if it's consistent, do we, do we feel like, I don't want to be on the bleeding edge. Bleeding edge is, it's more indulgence than anything else. I, I'm looking for things that are practical. And so literally between like five and eight in the morning is my most productive time of the day. It's where no interference is coming in. My mind is the cleanest. Um, um, coffee is amazing. Love coffee, you know. Um, and it's just a super high productive time for me. And then the rest of the day is really just uh, a lot of coaching. You know, I just try and do a lot of coaching with people. Um, direction, you know, helping people just coach them through whether, you know, they feel like they're going, heading in the right direction or not, maybe a little course correction. Um, one of the things that this year, even already 2021, I'm, I'm really trying to let go more and more. Um, I've, I have amazing people and I need to just get out of their way. Yeah. You know? so I'm really, really trying to get out of people's way. That's a conscious effort of mine. On that five to eight o'clock time. Yeah. Is that, is that structured in any way or is it no. just blank space? You use it however you want. Blank space, use it how I want. Yeah. And before my injury, which I know we talked about off air, had an elbow injury, you know, I play tennis and I try and play as much as I possibly can, like four times a week, you know? So like just talking about crazy hours, right? Like I might work from five to eight. I'll love playing tennis at like three in the afternoon. You know, it's prime time, whatever else. And then I might do some things in the evening, but again, I want to be a good spouse. My, my kids are grown now and, and out of the house, but I s- still do a lot of parenting and yeah, I like playing guitar and writing music. And so all, you know, I have to live what I'm talking about to our employees, like make sure you have other interests other than work. Don't get boring. Yeah. Yeah. Are you still having to do a lot, a lot of uh, like client acquisition, like going out and landing the deals or is that part been delegated to somebody else at this point? It had, well, I have a great account team. So my account team is charged with, uh, you know, ensuring that our clients are, are doing the right things and all that they can do to push push their business forward. Um, and so, you know, we're not trying to go after every deal that comes our way um, by any stretch. We're, we're not we're not good for everybody. You know what I mean? There's there's, uh, you know, if they're not really ready to make a commitment, um, I think we're beyond the testing phase of whether the internet's going to take off or not. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Like, so I kind of want to move that way, but I love pitching. I love, you know, I go to a lot of, I speak a lot out at conferences and um, although not in the past year, another thing I'm dying to do is to get back into the sort of conference circuit. I love the exchange of ideas. Um, But I, I do mostly business, the business development, the relationship side of the business. I love doing it. I also think it might be the only thing I'm actually good at. So, um, you know, I, uh, I, I love it. I love, I love the hunt. It's just something I love doing. Super cool. What's, uh, over the, over the 20 years of being with 
Ciceron being its founder, what would you say the most important skill is that you've developed over that time? I think it's the one that I'm learning how to do right now. And that is how to learn to let go. You know what I mean? How to learn to let go and trust, you know, when it's your thing, you know, sometimes that's difficult. Um, I did buy out a business partner of mine of 25 years at the beginning of 2020. Um, he's just a dear brother of mine still to this day. Um, you know, so there was, uh, there was, you know, on paper, it might look like I'm trying to get more control over the, over the agency. And I, I can understand why it might appear that way, but I'm, sure. I really am. I really am trying to let go. And like, if you hire talented people, let them do talented things, you know? Um, and I'll tell you the honestly, Drew, I like in the, in the complex area of, of program, programmatic media training, I don't know how to do any of that. Right. I'm not inside the trade desk doing media trades. That's not my area of expertise. I'm not a creative, I'm a creative thinker, but I'm not a, a visual creative person. You know, I love data and I can do, I'm, I'm weirdly good at things like reverse math, but I'm not a, I'm not a analyst. Mm. Right. And so I have amazing people in all these positions and you just have to, you know, it's this idea of flourishing, let people flourish. And so, yeah, get out of the way. So good. I love that. Is it, what do you think the most difficult part about that is? Is it the fear of somebody not doing it as well as you would? And like I said, this is your baby. Is it, what, what's the difficult part to, to do? Patience. I, I come back to that word on patience, you know? Yeah. Maybe they won't do it as fast as you will but maybe speed was never a good thing in the first place. Who knows? Right. So um, maybe they won't get to a conclusion as fast as you do, because this is, you know, maybe all you've done your entire life, but they'll get there. You know what I mean? And when they get there, they own it and it'll be faster next time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I think patience, letting go and then be patient and let it work, you know, just let it work and coach and try and be a good coach. Yeah. And I really mean that. Well, I mean that like, a good coach doesn't teach you how to teach somebody else how to be you. That's not because that, that totally denies people's human existence. I think a good coach is recognizing what people's strengths are, you know, and how success, how their strengths can play into their success. That's right. Especially when those strengths are maybe very different than the ones that you have, you possess personally. Yep. Well, that's it. The, the people that I've seen, delegate well are those who to borrow like the the language from traction and eos they delegate to elevate right yeah that it's 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 got a purpose in mind and that purpose is if i let go of a it's because i believe b is more in my unique ability yeah and i want more time to leverage my ability in that space because of the roi i know it's going to give the company and then the thing that I delegated hopefully is in that person's unique ability. And then therefore, even if they're behind me right now in, in, in proficiency, yeah. once they get up to speed, they're going to take to it personality wise or gifting wise better than I will. And the company's going to benefit. And so it's like seeing what I'm elevating into. And then also the opportunity somebody else is getting to step into often can help someone. They call it letting go of the vine. Yeah. Right. Right. You finally let go of the vine and, and trust the, 
the fall, right? So Drew, it's funny you say that because we're in the very early stages of, of traction um, at, at the agency. Okay. Um, and, and, and we're sort of, I don't want to say modifying it, we're, we're realizing that there are some nuances about agency life and agency world that is different than manufacturing a widget or something like that. And so we've actually are putting the, a lot of the principles of traction sort of in place right now. So it's interesting that you and I, have, just to, for your listeners, uh, you and I have not talked about this yet, but oh. it's interesting that you talk about traction because um, I, I think I am, after having read it and read EOS and, and all this, you know, I am a classic visionary, right? And in that sense, there's a lot of things I shouldn't even attempt to do yeah. that I have been doing for a long time. Yeah. And so I have brought in some new people. I've, I've been working with my existing management team. Um, I've made some changes. And, um, and so actually I'm, I'm, li- I'm living right now in this sort of those early stages of that idea of letting go, right? Yeah. That, is, yeah. that is sort of a, a traction type principle, whether it's by the book or not is up for question, but um, yeah. And then trust the process, you know? Oh, I love that. Um, yeah, I'm curious, maybe we'll, we can talk about this offline. I'm curious what the tweaks are that you're seeing that's unique to the, the agency world versus maybe what, uh, EOS has in mind or traction has in mind. Um, I'll save that question. We'll, we'll talk, we'll talk, yeah. off, we'll talk off air about that. Yeah. Um, if there's, if there's a young founder right now, he's in his first two years of running his business what's a piece of encouragement that you could give he or she right now? Oh, well, it depends. Like, are you trying to go for the quick exit and want to be the next, you know, the next uh, crypto billionaire? Is that what you're doing? Or do you want to be like, do you want to run something that's going to have, you know, have a legacy? Yeah. And both, by the way, both are totally fine. You just run your businesses very, very differently if you're doing that. Right. Um, I mean, the serial entrepreneur is, you know, start, grow, exit, start, grow, exit, and all these sorts of things. I've, uh, not to say that I'll never have an exit. I guess I kind of hope I do. Maybe the older I get, you know, <laughs> but uh, I haven't really ever grown it with an exit in mind. Either that's shame on me or whatever, but, you know, really understand what do you, what are you in it for? You know what I mean? Like really be clear about what you're in it for. Another thing is, and this was the thing that was so important for me, and that is try and realize as early as possible what you're good at and what you're not good at. And if you're not good at something that's fundamental, get a partner who's good at that, right? I had a CFO and I had no business having a CFO. You know, we were too small to have one, but I had one and it was, he, you know, navigated 9-11 for me, navigated the the, the crash of 2008, 2009. You know what I mean? So like, These are, these are people who understand that side of the business. So get really good at surrounding yourself with people who have skills and talents that you don't possess and that you will fail at if you try and do it. Yeah, come on. So good. Mm-hmm. All right, my friend, I'm going to jump into our lightning round questions. All right. Five questions that we've asked every founder, starting with question number one. If you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would it be? have passion for what you do and realize that no matter what you're doing, whether it's totally in the weeds, minutia or big giant strategy thinking is that you, at the end of the day, you're actually helping people. 
remember that the, the, the effort that you're putting in is, is, is you are, you are giving, you're having a positive influence on people's lives. Mm, so good. Number two, what is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? And also what was the worst? So I had a mentor very, very early on. He was an older guy, um, classic, classic business guy. And um, he was a family friend. And we went out, we went out one day for lunch and he goes, well, how's the business going, Andrew? This is about a year into it. And I said, oh, it's great. You know, we're, we're growing. I'm adding all these people and, and all this kind of stuff. And he goes, are you making any money? I said, well, I mean, not really. And he goes, are you paying yourself yet? Well, I mean, a little bit here or there. And he goes, <laughs> you're not running a business yet. You're running a big, expensive, stressful hobby. Wow. And, I, and it sort of hit me there. And then it's like, you know, if I want to run a nonprofit, then go run a nonprofit. That's fine. There's noble causes. If you're running a business, you got to run a business. You can't do both. <laughs> so that was really, really helpful. Worst advice? You know, I got to be honest with you. I've been really lucky. I haven't gotten, I haven't gotten a lot of bad advice. Um, I would say that there were times where we got overextended, where we hired maybe more people than we needed at the time for the work that was available based on hopes and dreams. And you kind of got to figure out how to keep your hopes and dreams in check. Are they real hopes and dreams? Yeah. Are there leading indicators that would say that the market's ready for those hopes and dreams? Yeah. Or is your ego getting in the way? Are you just saying, I just want to look and see more bodies or whatever, especially in the agency world, because intellectual capital is all we have and they leave for home every night. Right. So you oftentimes look at the number of people you employ as the, as the visual side of your success. And it, it, it's not, it really is. Question number three, what causes you the most stress or worry leading your organization? Um, honestly, are we treating people well? Mm -hmm. um, you would think you would think it would be finances. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, it's not like, I want to make sure that we're treating people well. Um, like, are we really doing that? Like, are we really like, I don't want to be an agency that has its values and we roll it out in pitches, but we're not living them. You know what I mean? Um, and now and then I get some indicators that maybe we're not, you know, maybe there's some areas that have happened where we just have fallen down on, you know, one or two of our values. And I look at that and I just say, that's, you know, that's where we're invest. That's where we invest in people. And so I, I, I will say that I, I do get stressed out about that. Like I get stressed out about not people's happiness and comfort necessarily, but like, are we being truly values driven? Yeah. Um, are we being equitable? You know what I mean? Like, are we, uh, is everybody being treated the same and fairly? Love that. Shows your heart too, that that's what's stressing you out. Okay. Number four. What is your current BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal? I know you mentioned you have some exciting aims at least three to five years uh, ahead of you guys right now. What are, what are some of those things, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, um, I uh, we've been punching up our weight class for years, years and years, and I, I want to hold the belt. You know what I mean? Like, I want to hold the belt. Um, uh, 
Um, there are times where I think people say, oh, you guys have been around 26 years. You must be an old timer internet guy or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, like we've been literally waiting for this moment for 26 years, this moment right now. So what keeps me up at night is to frankly, go get what's ours. And what, what do I mean by that? I mean that brands, I know that they're looking for what we have to offer. And I know this sounds like a big old pitch. I get it. But look, I, there's a lot of things that are broken in the world of marketing and advertising. There's a lot of things that just have not been optimized because they just haven't necessarily had the full 360 view of what has to happen to be successful. And by the way, this year is a massive year, 2021, because of cookies going away and Apple shutting down personal preferences to be able to track people. And, you know, when Apple threw out that, that, um, that update in iOS 14.5 out to the world, people were saying, I don't want to track. Well, they don't know what they're agreeing to because nobody told them, you know what I mean? So anyways, we're right in the middle of a thing right now for 2021 that's fundamentally going to change how we do what we do. and that's going to require a lot of heavy lifting across everything from tech to data to creative ideas. And um, it's, there's urgency around that. And I'm just very, very pleased that I think that we've stepped into that space with absolute total commitment. We have a site called Atlas called Atlas. Actually the logo that I have up wherever it is, is for Atlas, atlas.cicerone.com. If I could plug it. It's all about consumer privacy and what's happening right now. It's not even about consulting services. I mean, obviously we're providing those, but it's really just about information. People can go there and figure out what is actually happening and what they need to do about it. We're just leaning in heavy on that because that's what we believe our brand to be is to be trusted guides um, to this, to the digital world. And um, you know, Atlas is a great example of that. So Now's our time. I'm impatient. Now I told you that patience is important, but I am totally impatient to get there. <laughs> well, you, like you said, you've been patient for this moment. Yeah, we have. That's yeah, right. You've been patient to get here, but now that you're here, you got to seize it, right? Absolutely. And I've got amazing. I've got an amazing team right now. Um, that's just, and they're just as ready to do it. Awesome. All right, friend. Question number five. This is our fun, creative question. If you could hop into a DeLorean and go back to the past and tell yourself just one thing out the driver's side window as you drive by, when would you go back and what would you tell that younger version of yourself? Well, two things. First of all, I have a friend of mine who has a DeLorean. For real? Oh, yeah, for real. And they're, by the way, they're a terrible car. I believe so you it. Know. They're, yeah. they're absolutely horrible. Uh, one of the pieces of advice is I would give myself is buy Bitcoin and believe in it, you know, 10 years ago, that would have been great. I didn't do that. Um, but, uh, no, what, you know, what's the one thing I, you know, I just think that, um, stay true to yourself. I know that sounds so back of a Hallmark card, but like, as soon as you feel like you're not being yourself and you're not being authentic and you start chasing something that's not true to yourself, you will, you will begin to fray at the edges and you will cease to be yourself and you cannot lead if you're not yourself. Yeah. Um, so you got to be true to yourself. And sometimes that means that the company that you're running needs somebody else at the top because maybe you were good for that company up until that point. And it's time for somebody else to take it and grow it rather than you blowing it up 
and starting over. You know what I mean? You know, that's just, just know where your center is, know what matters to you and, and go at that. And if, if, if the business doesn't continue to do that, but it's a viable business, then maybe it's time to go and start something else. Love that. Oh, well, Andrew, this has been fascinating, my friend. I, I love this conversation. Uh, I'm so excited for you. Thank this, you. This moment is here. It's time for you to take the belt. I know you're going to. Uh, you guys have, have been a stalwart example of creativity, of excellence, integrity in the industry. Uh, and, and it's your time, man. So thank you for making time to be on the podcast today and share your story and your wisdom with us. Thank you, Drew. I really appreciate it. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.